Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Chris Vanier. How are you, Chris? Great. Thanks for having me today, Tyler. It is absolutely my pleasure. We connected. I don't even know. Oh, I think small, I think Alberta strikes again. Somebody who knew me, who knew you connected us and we had a quick chat and I'm excited. Oh, I think what you're up to is really incredibly interesting. So let's, let's, let's jump right into it. You're executive director of Isaac at the University of Alberta. So I will turn it over and let you unpack that for us a little bit. Great. Uh, I guess first, Isaac stands for Industry Sandbox and AI Computing which essentially means providing infrastructure for the future, um, computing resources, open, distributed, secure access to scalable computing uh, related to local business. So for small and medium-sized enterprises across Alberta and across Western Canada. And I started as the executive director about a year ago now. So it's a pretty exciting time to take something from start to scale. Oh, I love it. And I lo- I lo- a year in, especially uh, the past year, which has been interesting on, on all fronts. It, 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 it does not need a name. We all know what, what, what world we've been in. So let's just maybe help people really understand and cut right to the chase here. What problem did you guys set out to solve? So obviously you came together, you said, okay, we, there's a problem out here. It's holding us back in some way. We need to solve it. Boom. Isaac was born. What was, what was the core problem or the kind of core problem statement that got this thing started? Well, interestingly, it was a group of innovators, entrepreneurs, inventors who really kickstarted this, and they partnered with the university. And really, the problem is that there's limitless demand, and the pace of evolution and the need for computational resources is constantly evolving. It's constantly growing. And so that, in some way, makes it a scarce resource. It, I mean, that means where there are resources they just may not be as open, accessible, and efficiently allocated or managed that gets the benefit in the hands of small and medium-sized enterprises where there's a large concentration of folks and of talent and domain expertise and interest in adopting AI, and yet the technology um, challenges might be under-recognized when it comes to computational resources. So they got together um, a unique group, just like every problem to solve, and kickstarted this initiative back in 2017. It sort of evolved into a funding application and some joint contributions from each of those parties and really was procured in 2019, came into alpha testing in 2020, and then we moved into beta and are now going live with over 50 clients, small and medium-sized enterprises. So it's a pretty exciting place to be. That's amazing. I love, so, so scenario, I'm sitting around, you know, I'm hanging out with some startups and they're like, oh, we've got this great, like we've really, we've really figured out how we can use AI to solve this problem. And then all of a sudden they can't scale, they can't grow, they maybe can't even get out of the gate because access to computational resources is, is, is limited. So as, as a natural resource aside, right beside talent for those types of organizations, this is literally the next important thing, or maybe one of the most important things to allow them to kind of get their idea off the ground or even get it into a point where they could test it or am I, am I oversimplifying? Well, it's, it's a great way to start. Cause I think you can look at uh, tackling an AI challenge as a problem to solve data and people. And then the computational resource is sort of a backbone. And often it's under-recognized because there are, if you think about the landscape, there are a number of places that these, this can be accessed. You can use a gaming laptop. You can use something on premises in your facility. Okay. Um, you can also there's there's resources for researchers. Um, there's also commercial and cloud resources that we're all aware of, Google, Amazon, AWS, and right. that sort of stitches out a landscape that provides comfort that these resources are available. Yet when you're actually tackling 
the, the, the challenge you want to solve. You may not be getting the hands-on support. You may, some researchers talk about the competition that they go through in order to get allocation for these resources. So they may not get the allocation that they're looking for. So it's sort of an interesting problem full of gaps here and there. And in particular, uh, you know, a great quote came from Joël Pinot at the Canada 2020 talks last year that large corporations and companies like Facebook and Google have access to these. They're have access to these resources and the funds to be able to get the latest and the greatest, where small and medium-sized enterprises may be just looking at tackling the, the first challenge. They really want to focus on ROI and value. And having that support, having an open, scalable way to start and iterate and have lower risk such that they can try something new, especially in an environment like right now, when we're all when we're all looking at survivability uh, and building into the future, is really important. Um, there's 430,000 small and medium-sized enterprises in Western Canada, uh, wow. thereabouts, according to Industry that, Canada. That's a powerful number. What and that's from everything from a two-person up to like what would qualify in that number in terms of size? Everything. Everything. You know, startups, scale-ups, anything, um, hmm. and so it's about 90% of the workforce, but they're really only contributing a smaller portion of GDP, like right. about half okay. um, by the stats. So how do we how do we move things forward? And often we look at infrastructure as a backbone. So though it may not be glamorous, um, some types of infrastructure for the future are going to be necessary, and that's the role we look to play. And then connecting those dots between um, entrepreneurs, inventors, innovators, and the, the domain experts that are required to, to move these things forward now that they have a virtual environment in which to do that. Interesting. So curious a little bit about the, the balance of, you know, you, there was a group of innovators or a group of people that, you know, three, three years ago, you said 2017, they came together, connected with the university and said, hey, we've got a problem. We want to solve it. We think we should can solve it. Something I don't know a lot about and I'm curious about is that ability, and I'm, I'm hearing about it more and more, for the traditional, you know, for-profit sector to partner with typically post-secondary or not, you know, whatnot are looked at as maybe always the leaders in business, but yet I'm hearing more and more. I had uh, Deborah Karash from uh, UFC on the other day talking about the world of biotech. And she goes like, all of a sudden, like to be a professor and also be an entrepreneur on the side is becoming this really cool thing where she goes, you know, maybe down the road, we're going to have less professors and more entrepreneurs that used to be professors. So she kind of presented as this interesting culture shift for post-secondary where all of a sudden being innovative and getting out there and playing in that space, especially in Western Canada, is starting to become a lot more culturally the way it goes. So you know, how much of that has played into this? And and then I'm curious of like where it ends up down the road. Cause the ones you talked about, AWS, Google, these are for-profit businesses and I have to go and give them my money. The fact that we're doing it this way, does it promote a little bit more support for local as well? So sorry, 17 questions asked at once, one of my talents, I realize, but you know, backing it up, uh, how are you seeing it? The roles of, of post-secondary and for-profit businesses kind of playing together to create this innovation ecosystem? Brilliant question and absolutely resonates with the case of one of the founders. So the reason that um, this was started up, and it was originally called a hub, the hub in the sense of being the center point for connecting researchers, entrepreneurs, uh, innovators. So bringing together small and medium-sized enterprises with researchers or helping, we've identified this um, client case of enterprising researchers who are you know, looking to commercialize a technology. And absolutely... That's a big part of um, where Isaac fits and where the universities and technical coll and colleges are also looking and heavily involved. And in the case of this particular client in the health sector, working with researchers and clinicians is essential. Access to data, especially health-related data, and having that, having that pairing with a principal investigator. And then the entrepreneurial spirit and knowing how to take that product to market or wrap it in the form of a product that's marketable is huge. And where we provide the backbone for that from a computational perspective, you've mentioned a few times, it's sort of powering that ambition and providing the sandbox for that collaboration. And interestingly, at that time, uh, Isaac wasn't necessarily visioned as uh, virtual environment, but naturally it was a virtual environment. And now we've all become so accustomed to them that it's just, it's, it's 
that's what it is. And that idea of a hub is really foundational to where we look at as what we look at as our role in the ecosystem by enabling access to, you know, these unique groups coming together, enabling access if it's in relation to data or the space um, for sandboxing and, and progressing ideas faster than they may have if it was any individual on their own. Right. Well, that accelerator. And also the networking. So originally it was the idea of kind of creating collisions and creating a hub for people to come together to learn from each other and share resources where the natural, like not only the service you provide, but the environment we've been in the last 12 months, it's not virtual anymore. It's just called the way we do it, right? (laughs) Fair point. Definitely adapted. It's the oldest, it, it's, it's, and everything in between. Yeah, it's in our world. You can't call it digital marketing anymore. You just call it marketing. Yeah. It's okay. Everybody gets it. <laughs> it just kind of becomes what it does. We don't need that the, 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 to, to clarify. So does Isaac live separate from the university or is it very clearly like, are we dealing with like the university as an entity, uh, Isaac as an, uh, I said Isaac, sorry, Isaac as an entity. And then all of a sudden you mentioned you had 50 companies in this, in this beta phase. Is it a third body sitting by itself or is it directly tied to and part of the University of Alberta? I'd say a bit of both, and it's beyond the okay. University of Alberta. Like we are in, we're in conversations with the University of Calgary. We, we have part of our staffs from BC and connected to the universities there. Like we're continually trying to look at that expansion across Western mm-hmm. Canada in the sense of who can we serve and how can we do better together. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, our structure is linked to the University of Alberta at this yeah. point, mm-hmm. and it's really operating as an independent lab type entity. So this is. It's the, the structure is not necessarily a new thing for universities. There's examples like a fabrication facility that's located. So it's independently mm, operated, okay. but also kept close enough to benefit with certain, um, I would say, educational advantages. So one of the things is our security and audit process. As a large institution, we can implement and undertake significant um, security exercises and audit reviews for, you know, serving clients in, say, the health sector, that a small enterprise of maybe four or five people might not be able to undertake. So we look to extend the benefits of the university environment into the small and medium-sized enterprises and vice versa, extend some of the entrepreneurial spirit and that enterprising experience from the small and medium-sized enterprises into the university. So it's kind of a mutual benefit and the distributed aspect of it is really important as well. So linking across different institutions and looking at the network effect when we operate as one Alberta, one Western Canada, Mm -hmm. and especially related to activity that's always under, undertaking on the world stage. So yeah, you got, you, you beat me to one of my questions around where, who gets access to this? Like those 50 companies you're talking about, are they all Alberta? Because you started, you know, because you're, you're in, you're in Edmonton today, correct? Yes. Yes. I didn't think it needed to call it out because it feels like we're working, you know, we're none of us live, live, live on an Island or in a dome. Um, but this is bigger than Alberta when you talk about reaching out into, into the BC market. So those 50 companies that you're talking to, are they all based in Alberta or are they just based in Western Canada? Western Canada. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. Western Canada. Yeah. So curious, those those companies, or sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I cut you off. I'm already jumping to my next my next question. Go ahead. I would say they're geographically. We we have companies Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC at this point in time. Okay. And for sure, there's um, there's more in Alberta at this point, just because that's where we started, and yeah. we're looking to you know serve beyond that. At the same time, um, the opportunity for us working with with different partners um, might enable a, you know, a different strategy going forward. Uh, at this point, we're lucky to have helped companies across various sectors, agriculture, health, fintech, um, marketing. So it's it's really quite a quite a mix. Some of them have researchers affiliated with them, some don't at all. Right. Uh, and it, so it's really quite a unique mix. And I think that's what speaks to the the space that this gap serves, that it provides a different access than maybe would have been available. And the other thing we're noticing is instruction in AI. So courses in AI have exploded. There's definitely um, a lot of growth. And for those professors or instructors to have access to resources 
um, at a scale that can serve 50 students when, you know, two years ago they might have had five or 10 or there might not have been a course at all. We've started working with some of the institutions um, to ensure that they have access to the computational resources they need to instruct and create opportunities for the next generation of professionals, students um, as a next generation, as well as professionals looking to upskill. So there's lots of different courses made available, and that's a huge part of what we're doing right now as well. It's so easy to forget. For me, it's easy when you think about it, like a, a fabrication, you think about a lot of the trades, you had to have a place to go try the thing and to do the work or go in the lab to run the experiment or whatever the case may be. Now that happens to be virtual, but it's no less important that you've got an infrastructure that can support it. Because how much can you learn in those environments if you don't get to do it, if you don't get to do your test project or whatever the case may be? And sorry, and it's, I always have these revelations that all of a sudden I'm like, that sounds super obvious. But when you don't think it through, go, yeah, we're pushing all of these individuals to get training in everything from blockchain. To, they need somewhere to practice their craft. <laughs> Exactly. You've actually <laughs> landed on exactly why we, we came to the name Isaac and the operation as, you know, our three pillars as the AI garage, the hub and the data sandbox. It's the application that enables adoption and commercialization for AI and digital technologies. So each one of those components is really important and necessary and the, the faster we're able to move through them and support them. Uh, hopefully the better off all of those tinkerers and doers, <laughs> hackers and hustlers will be able to exploit their craft. I love that your personas are tinklers, uh, t t tinkers and, hu and hustlers <laughs> and doers. I'm like, like, sorry, you rhymed those off. I'm like, those are great personas from a marketing perspective. <laughs> who are the hustlers? Who are the doers? Who are the tinkerers? You know, but that's incredibly powerful when you think about this new world of like, who's in the garage coming up with what idea? That garage is now virtual, and but it still needs to exist. And you still need the soldering iron or this or the whatever tool you're, you know, I'm, I just have pictures of the guys putting computers together in their garage. Just the new version of that same mindset. So it just makes a ton of sense when I hear you lay it out when you lay it out that way. Yeah. Um, well, like that's a great story because yeah. one of our, um, <laughs> one of our clients is like in synthetic data and, you know, they send us pictures or they talk about, you know, we can move from what was it? A hundred seconds to one second in our, in our computational, like, and they're so excited about it. And you know, you think about that and you, you, it's impressive that we've come to a place where, you know, seconds and milliseconds make such significant difference in the ability to, to generate meaning and insight from these huge um, data sets. And that that's, that's a really exciting space to be. Or the other, um, we had a client who was really excited to share working with um, um, a technology like a Raspberry Pi or a, a, I think it was an Jetson Nano. Excuse me, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not an inventor myself, more of an innovator and on that side of things, but, um, and was really excited over a spring break project to, um, do some exciting work about, you know, automating how his lawn gets mowed. And I thought this is incredible or the hackathons that we support and the things that they come up with are problems in the field that they can wrap technology into and then, um, do training in the cloud and, and bring that back to something in production space or, um, create a solution for a company. And that's pretty, it's pretty incredible actually. So from an accessibility standpoint, like what, what I'm hearing, and I'm not to, not to layer in larger like social issues that we're dealing with, but we live in a world where we're focusing heavily on inclusion and belonging. And what I'm really hearing is like, this also provides a level of democratization. It provides a level of access. And you know, it's, it, it's like giving somebody who doesn't have access to tools, a garage full of tools and going, Hey, what, what could you create? Like, Oh my God, what, what I, what, what am I going to create? When I hear you talk and that excitement that comes out in your voice, when we talk about, you know, whether, you know, obviously the world we're on this stage, but in Alberta, the topic of the last five years, how are we going to diversify? How are we going to innovate? How are we going to be different for the future? If we can't provide universal access to the tools that are the future, it's going to be pretty hard to do that, right? You can only get so far with a piece of paper and a pencil. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a great spin on the quote, like the popular Gibson quote, actually, you make me think of. As the future gets here, as we create the future, we'd like it to be more evenly distributed. So how do we create it in a way that allows for that to happen and allows the creative mashups that need to happen between people? And you've talked about that prior on your podcasts where, you know, it's, it's people coming together and now we're adding data to that equation. And, you know, the messiness of 
working with data and the messiness of combining that with a problem that's worthy of solving, you know, it takes some, it takes some real energy and it takes a hub. And we have many assets, um, whether they're accelerators or support organizations. Um, and this is just another piece of that puzzle that we get to enable or that we get to play the role we get to play in order to that enable that future that you're talking about. I love that you use that quote. I've seen it floating around and kind of dug down on it a few years back and the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. How do you flip that around to be actually something much more positive and much more as, as we focus on, you know, we're all in it together. So let's, let's actually act that way. So curious about the process. So I'm going to put, I'm on your website and I'm kind of, of course, you know, I'm a professional creeper. I'm checking it out and it says book a discovery. It doesn't say sign up. It doesn't say buy now. It says book a discovery. And that to me as a marketer has a very distinctive meaning to it that, you know what, you don't just put in a credit card and we give you access, this is we're actually going to talk with you and we're going to understand what you're trying to do and maybe how to best help you. That's what I think it means. Maybe you can kind of clarify to me what is the process if I'm listening and I didn't know and I'm now listening and I'm in front of my computer and I'm thinking about getting involved. What does that process look like from a company or innovators standpoint? Yeah, I'm exactly that, a discovery. So our focus is to to support through infrastructure and applied knowledge the adoption and commercialization of AI in Western Canada. And that means getting to know the company and their goals, getting to know the startup, getting to know the conversion and understanding those goals is is as important to identifying the environment that they need as the specifics and technical knowledge of that environment. Um, It's often times that we will get a technical and a business person involved in a conversation as well. And that's really important because in some cases, if we're only working with the technical team, uh, you know, our our ML side would exp- would um, characterize the computational needs and the requirements in a specific way. But if we're able to unpack maybe some of those university or other ecosystem partner resources that are available, maybe there's support there as well. Maybe there's student capacity or a researcher that's really active in that space. Maybe there's another institution um, that would serve this company's acceleration a little bit more, uh, maybe an association that, or, an, or an event. And I think that that's part of uh, the discovery process. Having said that, it can be a discovery process by form. Like we have a quick automated way to get on where folks just sign up and we're validating some basic, basic information. And then the more um, long-term relationship oriented supports as well. So what I'm hearing in that comment is, yes, you can get access to computational power, but there is a lot more resources available back to the hub and back to the community and kind of the overword ecosystem word, that there's a lot of infrastructure in there to support people on their journey, as well as getting access to computational power. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All university, the University of Calgary, you know, has, um, or CIC is a great example, um, the Calgary Innovation Coalition. You know, there's dozens of partners involved in the success of these companies and I think um, if we if we look at our role in in some sense infrastructure as a backbone, um, okay. then that spinal cord or that cord has to connect to all of those different nerves and um, systems that uh, generate results in different ways and send uh, you know more thorough supports across the. <laughs> I guess that supports your your style of analogies, but more thorough supports across the whole system. No, it's it's interesting, and I, I appreciate again. That's why why I love long form content. If we would have had five minutes, I would have missed like two thirds of the story. <laughs> I would never have got into take it apart. Uh, so when you think about the back end that you guys do from a technical perspective, how much uh, you know is this a built? Is this a very specific built infrastructure here in Alberta? Do you guys have partners globally that act as the backbone? Maybe getting into the technical side of I'm just thinking: is this a big warehouse somewhere full of high powered computers that allow people to do this, or do you also have partners on that side of the house? I'm getting way down the rabbit hole here on the technical side. Well, I will love I will love to unpack that for you in the coming year. Um, okay. Obviously, Fair getting enough. started in the first, we've just gotten started, so we do have uh, we do have infrastructure available, and it's through the University of Alberta. We work with partners okay. like Cybera across Alberta. Um, you know, we're in conversations with other folks, Westgrid. Um, University of Calgary. So how we evolve in that, you know, to really serve the need at the level that it's growing is how we look at our future. 
And for the time being, our focus is Western Canada and small and medium-sized enterprises or enterprising researchers and AI instructors. Having said that, the technology providers are definitely global. So we're excited to, you know, review Dell, like everything from uh, across the board. And it evolves extremely quickly, which is one of the challenges of for most small and medium-sized enterprises. So you really have the choice with computational equipment of on-prem, your own, you know, laptop or server, uh, commercial cloud, or the research-related resources. And that would, you know, that's three of four quadrants. If you want a local open quadrant in the past, um, the, the, and for other, other types of computation, you know, there's data centers. And so folks will look at co-location in data centers. AI is a little bit different, and this type of, like, GPUs, TPUs can be a little bit different because the high needs for computation are in the early phase, phases of inference and training. And then once it goes into production, you don't have that same scale of need. So it's really a model that supports sharing very well. And that's exactly what our founders noted is we can get a lot more out of our budget if we share this stuff. And when I need high power, I get high power. When I need scalability and elasticity, then I get access to it. But I can also share it when I don't need it. So that's really the goal. And then having that security and being able to wrap around some of those other support services is where the real value add comes in. I like the, well, we do live in the share economy, but the elasticity and understanding that not everyone's at the same cycle of need at the same time, which is what actually allows it to work. <laughs> it's like yeah. if back in the old days, if everyone showed up at the gym at the same time who actually had a membership, no one, you couldn't fit them all in the gym, but that's okay. They're not going to all show up at the same time. <laughs> that's a really weak analogy, but back in the good old days when we used to be able to go to the gym if we, want, if we wanted to. <laughs> Perfect analogy, minus the sweat and... Uh, well, the 24-hour access is pretty applicable as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, it's, it's a stretch. Really I'm, I know, I know. I went way. I went. That was weak. I was not my best analogy for a metaphor for the day. Um, when you look, curious on the global stage, like this, this sounds innovative. It sounds awesome for Alberta. It clearly, sounds like something that is a, a, a key ingredient to what we need to go forward when it becomes. I just the democratization and access to people with all of these other things around. It's not just computational power. Is this a model that you looked at globally that you looked for inspiration and maybe that, and where did you look for this type of model and where are we in the cycle in terms of our, you know, those, those 430,000 companies you mentioned, uh, you know, initially when we look to the U S or we look to Europe or we look to Asia, where do we sit on that? Or do you have a, do you have a perspective on the, what the global landscape looks like? Cause we're not competing locally. We're competing much on a broader scale than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in some sense, the, the model is new. In some sense, it's based on proven technology. So that's the benefit of being at a university. You know, we're really looking to exploit for the, for the companies who are um, wanting to just start this out, who are maybe in later phases, the, the known technology. And where there are some others, we have a, a few real leaders um, that are moving into the spaces of edge computing. They're working a lot with IoT or sensors. Um, we definitely want to, because of the position in a, at the university and make available what is useful for them. So it, it's a really great position to be in, in that we can offer both at a, at a scale or when the needs meet, meet each other. Okay. And globally, I wouldn't suggest that I would suggest there's a lot of different things. I mean, I feel lucky to have had the opportunity to visit innovation labs and sandboxes and different environments, whether they're for hotel chains uh, in Hong Kong or um, the innovation lab in London, or like th there, there's different things going on everywhere. And this is sort of an, a, re, a reuse of many different okay. models, I guess. And so I wouldn't suggest that what we're doing is completely new. It might be novel and it's more tailored and customized to the approach that Alberta. So when you're okay. implementing something that causes transformation, I mean, it's important to consider the cultural context that you're in. Whether the model that Dubai uses is relevant to Calgary, um, you'd have to look at a lot of a lot of different factors. We, we're, mm. we're not a desert, obviously. So 
some of the things that need to be local localized can be localized and some of the things that we can draw from as leading examples in the world can be more global. Like there, there's a good, um, the MI Garage in the UK is one that we look at and they are looking at ethics and data frameworks and funding supports. Whereas RAI Garage is more looking at the virtual environment. So we're able to draw different things from examples around the world. In Eindhoven, there's a, you know, a data or a computational complex, I guess you could call it, that's working with the technical institute. So we're able to draw examples from that. Uh, the commercial providers and hybrid solutions, we also have a lot to learn from them. And making sure that we can bridge the space that's relevant to our companies and their success is what we're, we're striving to achieve so that they can be competitive on the global scale. How much work and how much effort is being put in, and I'm assuming a lot, it's kind of a weird loaded question, to make sure you guys are staying in the right lane or knowing what lane is the best. Like you said, you're kind of playing a space between, there's the commercial side, there's, there's I guess it, to me it sounds like it creates a lot of discipline. I really like what you said about like understanding the culture of where we are and what's needed here, not only from a geographic, we're not, we don't live in a desert, we don't, you know, this, we live in a very stable environment. Geographically, what does that mean? But from a, from a, from a, your business, like you're still providing a service, I'm assuming how, how has it been on the journey of really understanding like where, where we should put our own guardrails to make sure that we stay focused? And it feels like you could get easily pulled in different directions as a service provider yourselves. Oh, absolutely. I feel lucky that uh, I had spent some time working with some other folks and the partners that we have in the ecosystem are so fantastic and like Amy's a good example. I know you had Cam Linky on earlier mm -hmm. in the year and the, the CIC in Calgary grouping together and looking at providing that umbrella for a number of different organizations that support entrepreneurs. So we are maybe, maybe you could say, go back to that analogy, inventors and entrepreneurs, hackers and hustlers. We're really looking at the space for hackers and inventors, you know, okay. the tinkerers and the doers and the the types of technology that allow them to come up and solve problems. And yet it's really important to connect with the venture mentoring society or the A100 um, as they strive for seven, 75,000 tech jobs in, um, in Alberta, because we, we serve a specific role and that's infrastructure and applied knowledge. So how do you take infrastructure and, and make it available, but also, um, attach the applied knowledge and the connection to partners and resources that enable the overall complexity of a startup to move forward. So a, a problem is can be tinkered at forever. It also has to be worth solving and marketable in some sense. And so that may not be our expertise, but we get to work with really fantastic partners from accelerators, creative destruction labs or discovery lab this week. Um, or with Amy, who does a lot of different training and provides different resources, or AINBC, for example, or Emily in the egg space. So knowing that landscape is really important to helping these companies be successful and part of what we can offer them. Speaking speaking to that landscape, you know, part of the journey I've been on, also even the last couple of years through doing the show and talking to guests, is really seeing it evolve. And sometimes, you know, there's a combination of like, where is our ecosystem versus what am I not aware of? I think Alberta, we're really good at not necessarily being fully aware of what's going on across the street. Part of why we started the show, and I'm not saying it's a negative, we're so busy doing our thing. How have you even seen? How is the ecosystem evolving? I like what you said. Like, you know, it, it takes many. It, there's many chefs in the kitchen here to kind of to, 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 to create this new this new this new cake we're baking here. Some weird analogies today. I don't even know. I'm going to the gym and I'm eating cake. Um, how is it coming together? Is it evolving? Do you, are we on a good pace? Is it still disconnected? Like you know, as me being the 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 hacker and the inventor, do I get lost in it, or is it starting to become a little more clear to navigate from your perspective as as we slowly kind of get definitions and lanes and clarity and people get known versus unknown. Hmm. I appreciate the question and I would suggest that, you know, there, there's always a healthy degree of fragmentation. You know, the new term that's come up, co-opetition, um, one of the <laughs> like greatest places I've ever, you know, ever looked at leadership was related to the Renaissance of Florence. And one of the concepts was like putting Da Vinci and, and Michelangelo as collaborators and also competing for some of the greatest pieces of art during the, the whole period. Mm. So 
we we lift the boat by lifting each other. So in certain spaces, and you know, coming before this, um, one of my roles was in the engineering, architecture, and environmental space. And in a lot of large projects, uh, you can be competitive with a certain bidder. And then on the next project, you're they're your biggest partner. So <laughs> it's really learning this dance of when to compete and when to cooperate. And collaboration is tricky, and that's what makes it worthwhile. Diversity is tricky, and that's what gives it the best innovative ideas. And we need to have the courage to go there. And I mean, having the the privilege of being able to travel and spend time in some of these other spaces, one of the things I love most about here is that we do have the opportunity to bring this together. We're in a great, healthy space as Canadians and Albertans with a variety of different skill sets. And we have a strength in engineering, a strength in, you know, a number of construction, energy-related industries, health, and how we bring that um, to the table for enabling the future is kind of part of the challenge. And I, I guess, you know, your question was, are we working better together? Sure, we're always moving forward and we're moving better together. And we're also fragmenting at the same time. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. There's always going to be growth and togetherness. And there's always going to be folks folks falling off to the side and being reinvented. And people are resilient. So one of my favorite uh, quotes was uh, from the Innovation Leadership Forum. And it says, and one of the leaders says, change, people aren't afraid of change. They change all the time. They don't like being changed or having change forced upon them. So we need to give each other the courage to take on that challenge. And we need to we look at Isaac or we need to give each other the space to take on that challenge. And, and that's, I guess, the way I look at being a hub and being in a virtual environment for tink- tinkering and doing. Oh, you, you had me at co-opetition. That's my new, that's my new word. For this. <laughs> like, I'm like, I have not heard that before. I hear a lot on the show and a lot of, and a lot of acronyms and a lot of metaphors, but really interesting. And you're right. The whole iron sharpens iron. And, you know, I love that rising tides raise all boats, but sooner or later a boat race gets you really motivated to tune up your boat. <laughs> You nailed it. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love I love the way I love the way you positioned that. So, uh, if if we were if we were making bets, um, any industries or sectors or things that you're seeing that get you excited, that you've got optimism around in terms of like, is it you know IoT in Alberta? I know is a big movement to be recognized here for that. Is it is it you know some of the work we're doing around machine learning and AI or what Amy's leading on? And I hear a lot of different horses in the race, and I think they're all good and they're all exciting. But anything that you see that gets you maybe just excited, your own just kind of point of view on where we're innovating and where you know what, Ooh, that that has some maybe has some legs in in this environment here in Alberta. From a sector perspective, what I can offer is kind of what we see, um, Mm -hmm. really looking at adoption and ag tech is really exciting. Uh, The health sector space and what we're enabling there. And I mean, that's partly driven by the global environment and the conditions that we're in. Energy is obviously undergoing its its own transition. And, you know, some of the early early, um, adopters related to AI, legal tech, fintech, um, Mm -hmm. are also marketing uh, uses. So they're actually finding transformative applications, which is really exciting. So depending what part of the innovation spectrum or adoption spectrum you're on, I think there's different industries. So the revolutionary opportunity for sensors in agriculture, for example, is quite different than the um, power of algorithms in marketing to help us understand (laughs) consumer patterns. So quite a different environment, but, you know, (laughs) every... Every company, as you mentioned, are, it's a discovery process. So every company we learn from and we, we grow together. One of the companies right now, we're looking at how do we improve rural connectivity? We have a, you know, we had a hackathon around that and they're challenging us to look at how we get these massive data sets they're collecting in remote places back to the cloud. And Sure, it's once you have it on the computational, the resources that are already in an urban space, it makes it workable. But actually doing that transfer and figuring that out is one of the things we have to look to do together. And one of the challenges we have in Western Canada and Canada in general. 
is our back to back to access back to connect, you know being able to get people you, you get very spoiled around your internet connection when you're in the city or inside city limits i did a few podcasts i did a podcast on one of my other shows with a rancher and she's like tyler it's like i got three megs of like megabytes of upload today like it's a good day like this is as good as it's gonna get so i hope it works and it's like wow here's me just taking for granted when my high speed is a little bit off and i'm and i'm finicky about it but you think about ag you think about the energy sector and all the remote the remoteness of what goes on in canada in general and the data sets that or the data is collected there and how does it get uploaded and make its way into a place that someone could then now use it on your platform to create create to solve the problem we're solving. I love you said that a couple of times in the show. Um, curious question just around um, the role, fun, like the, fun, the funding model. And again, I don't know how much detail you want to get into, like provincial local, you've got private investors, you've got through the, through the universities and some of maybe the challenges around funding that have been happening there. So any perspective on kind of where our government has been provincially around funding and supporting projects like you guys are working on? And I know that's maybe a tricky question to ask. If you want to take the fifth on this one, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Love the tricky questions. They're always the best <laughs> ones, right? And that's your job. I would suggest, or I would, I would say that we can, from a, from a standpoint of our work, we continue to look at sustainability as a combination of public and pay-for-use funding. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it it really takes courage and foresight by the government to, and it's a difficult choice, like trade-offs. So I wouldn't profess to be in any special knowledge of where they should be decisioning around this funding, but I think it, it is an opportunity to look at and reflect. So when we're in uh, an environment of prosperity, it's easy to just distribute every, you know, everything and not necessarily really look at what's delivering the most value, where the opportunity we are now really gives that opportunity and is, provides that impetus. So either way, as a, you know, as a taxpayer or as someone who's contributing on both sides, I'm happy when we have these opportunities for review and I don't think it's a simple process. So I wouldn't want to, you know, offer that the, the, there, there is always value in every sector and in every space and discerning what is of most value. And like you said, provides the most equality and benefit is challenging. And going back to, I, I guess it's going, we, we want a more equal contribution and when I look at those 430,000 companies, they're only contributing um, or they, they can be amplified in their contribution to GDP with the right types of contributions. And so we look to provide that through a service and by being a backbone. And if, we're, if the government is supporting those backbones and supporting those services, then we benefit and we all benefit from the rising tide. That's where you get that you get that amplification effect, right? Of, <clears throat> I, I I couldn't agree with you more. It's 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 no easy task to pick to pick the horse that's good that you think is going to win or the group <clears throat> that you want to kind of fund. But you're right. In in, in times of past when there was when there was money aplenty, uh, they didn't you didn't have to be as discerning, and those harder decisions didn't have to be made. And there's always someone's not going to like the decision that gets made. So it is a it's a tough setting. But how do we how do we create more? Like infrastructure, I don't want to use the 10x, but how do we create something that's going to amplify 10 like that 430,000 in a way that's going to be beneficial, knowing that not all are going to make it or not all are going to have the impact that we want? Yeah, this, without getting too pointed, pointing fingers, it gets kind of philosophical really quick, doesn't it? <laughs> the, I think that, I mean, this is only my view. It's, I think that it's important that we have the business cycle. You know, things go up and up and down and they give us these opportunities to reflect and choosing winners isn't necessarily the job of everyone. So we've been lucky to benefit from the system we have where the market helps us choose who those are. And I think that I, I feel privileged having the opportunity to look at infrastructure for the future in the first place, being some other places in the world, we may not have that opportunity or we may, we may not even be starting from a place close to equity. So the fact that our basic needs are covered and that we have the opportunity to look forward and create the future and create the wealth and the quality of life that we want here as a result of that is 
is kind of the goal. And hmm. whether you're government, whether you're a service provider, whether you're a commercial entity, we we each contribute in our own ways. Yeah, let's not let, let's not forget how fortunate we are to be starting up a little bit higher on that period pyramid of like economic actualization, right? <laughs> There's a lot of rungs below that we don't even consider while we're sometimes complaining about the rung we're on. Um, so speaking about thinking about the future, you, am, am I okay to call you a startup? Are you are you a startup yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. The, is, startup. So what? Yeah, what? What? Yeah, startup. What? What other words would you throw? Because yeah, I'm like, well, you guys are pretty new. You're a year out. You're still figuring it out. Startup felt like a fit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're looking. Uh, you know, we we operationalized through the course of this year, and uh, we have a great group of of clients who are continuing to help us learn. So. To, uh, lucky to be taking the approach and the mentorship of many of the many of the startups that I've worked with in the past and different companies, and looking at our minimum viable product and building out from there. Chris, I don't imagine there's many dull days in your world with just the uh, all this just the myriad of stakeholders alone that you get to converse with on a regular basis. <laughs> Is there a dull day in anyone's world these days? No, fair, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> some, some maybe have a little more, you know, fireworks than others. Um, so, what's what? What do you see? What's the next couple of years for you guys in terms of how you how you see this unfold? How you see this unfolding from your current vantage point? Enabling, considering the pace that the pace that this evolution happens and where AI is at and where some of the companies have ambitions. I think that we need to have similar ambitions. It's how do we partner across Western Canada? How do we collaborate in a way that's distributed, that remain that remains open to the point that uh, is accessible and doesn't cost any of that IT divorce or that platform effect that companies have to work through if they commit to a commercial provider, and yet offer the benefits of platform as a service or that really enable acceleration. So with our business, it's a combination, as we said in the beginning, of people knowledge, computational resources, and data. And right now, when it, you're looking at AI adoption, 60 to 80% of the time is spent cleaning up, understanding, and building quality data. So we have to really understand where the sandboxing aspect of our business needs to grow and where the platforms to enable that capacity for, for data, working with data, um, mm -hmm. and then also partnering with folks who have the deep data science expertise that can complement the computational resources and you know, virtual environment that we offer. In terms of timeline, are we still at that on that part of the journey where still more and more companies are bringing that data forward and are still at that phase? Like, I would imagine we'll get to a point where that now new data being collected is be, being connected in a, in a more opportune way for them to be able to bring AI to bear, machine learning to bear on it. But I've had a few people on talking about like there's just such a debt right now in terms of technology for so many companies of just trying to get to a place that they can start to even think about getting some value out of this data, but that cycle will run its course. I'm, I'm assuming over the next couple of years as well. Yeah. I think that there's a Deloitte report that talked about, you know, 70 ish percent of Canadian companies don't make use of AI right now. Mm -hmm. um, but more than half of those companies think that we should lead in AI like Canada. And we do have, <laughs> so it, it, it's kind of bridging that gap and, with data, we are seeing like, you know, three clients this week I, I can think of right off the top of my head. We're really looking at storage solutions as they continue to build data sets, as they're um, looking at their training, but needing to, to aggregate data from different vantage points or, or collect data from their organization and clean it in a way that makes it useful. Um, to the problem that they're trying to solve. So I can't profess to be a, a data scientist, but I definitely understand the, that this is a significant time requirement and that it's a very important first mover advantage. And that can lead to significant barriers of entry 
um, if we're not actively looking at how we can capitalize on these data sets. You know, everyone refers to the health data, for example. Uh, in the egg space, um, we see, you know, folks talking from, from the field or the grower perspective um, mm -hmm. and the degree of trust that's required in order to start working with and collecting data sets at the field and farm level or grower level and how that can be maximized in the, the later commercial interests and who that benefits and how that benefits. So we definitely have some challenges to work through. Exciting times ahead is the is, is the short footnote on on all, on all of this in terms of where where it's going to go and so much of it is still being figured out as 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 we go like these words and terms and acronyms get thrown around a lot but it is really early days for a lot of organizations and there is still a lot of discovery <laughs> back to your <laughs> there's still a lot of discovery yet to unfold yeah I really appreciate your that as a commentary because it's exactly what you see the early adopters are well down well down the road and they're kind of like well, why isn't everyone else here? But the really significant majority is still catching up. And so who, who does that discovery serve and how do we play a role in supporting each of these entities so that they can do something that creates business value for what they're doing or the transformation that's required to take their business into the future or create a new business entirely? And um, it's exciting. You asked me earlier about uh, areas of excitement. I love hearing the new companies, you know, legal tech, where they're disrupting a whole industry um, because they're they're disintermediating what's required from um, insurers for making claims. So some of the solutioning that comes forward is really chain game changing, and other mm -hmm. solutions with sensors, for example, can be entirely incremental. And how we support all of those is what creates composite value, in my view. I appreciate everything from a sensor to a complete new way for an in for, for and, and and sometimes new industries emerge out of out of these new ways of doing things or disrupting the way we've always done it. Which, <clears throat> back to your comment about change, can be scary if it's being done to you. So it kind of behooves us all to kind of get involved in the change and feel like we're a little more part of it than getting run over by it occasionally. Which technology can be scary sometimes that way if it's happening to you. I like I like that the way you clarified that. <laughs> yeah, we change all the time, but ooh, I don't like it when someone else makes me change. <laughs> we are still humans and a little bit messy, are we not? <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes what? life interesting. Yes, it does. We'd be bored. We'd beg for boring podcasts uh, uh, otherwise. Uh, Chris, amazing chatting with you today. You gave me so many things to think about. My brain's spinning 100 miles an hour, which is my, my guilty pleasure of why I get to talk to really cool people like you. What's the best way for people? Is it Your website is a little bit of a mouthful, but I, I did type in just Isaac and you guys came you guys came up right away. So good good work on the, on the acronym. Is that the best way for people to learn more and to dive in is go check out your website? Absolutely. Isaac.ca or Isaac.ai and can definitely reach out. The tech team is available at support at Isaac.ca. So okay, nice. via email and then there's, you know, contact information right there on the website and definitely my LinkedIn profile, uh, happy to chat and connect there as well. And you guys, well, kudos, you, you guys did a good job on your website, by the way, something like so many times I see technically oriented companies that their website is like, what, what is going, what's happening here? You guys did a really good job on your site. So kudos to you on that one. So go, go check it out. It's a, it's a good, it's a good user experience. Well, I will definitely give kudos to the lovely Calgary based company that we worked with. So not only they did, they, they did a our, good job Yeah, in our procurement, we're going local too. Fantastic. Well, kudos to you guys for the fantastic work you're doing and more importantly for the problem you're solving and the opportunities you're helping accelerate for the future of this amazing province. So thank you for that. And Chris, it was great chatting with you. Have a great afternoon, Tyler. Thank you. You as well. Bye.